This is Matt Brown, and you're listening to Just a Good Conversation. I don't believe I've ever met a single person who's more excited about trees and the wood they produce than my guest today. John Mahoney looks and sounds like a man who should be around big trees. Well over six feet tall with a beard that would make a mountain man tip his cap. John and I talk about tree life cycles with what Street Tree Revival is doing with the trees they take and chainsaws. A chainsaw is a, the fastest tool for removing wood and you can make art extremely fast, right? It doesn't take a long time. In, in an hour and a half, you can turn a log into something that will sell for way more than firewood. And that's kind of how I fell in love with recycling wood. I'm Matt Brown, host of Just a Good Conversation. Take a listen to our archives. My guests have ranged from farmers, restaurant owners, actors, and photographer Greg Gorman. Actually, in New York in the early 80s, when my career was just kind of getting going pretty well, and I went to visit a, a good friend of mine, Antonio Lopez, and I was excited to tell him what I'd been working on and been doing, and he said, you know, so what have you been doing, Greg? And I said, well, I just shot Tootsie, Big Chill, Scarface. And I thought, well, he's going to be impressed. He goes, well, he looks me coldly in the eyes. He said, well, that's great, but what are you doing for yourself? And I realized at a certain point I was like a hired gun. You know, I was creating imagery for other people, but not creating so much imagery for myself. And he said to me at that point, he said, and he said, you know, if you want to have longevity in this business, you need to find a creative outlet outside of your commercial work to keep your batteries charged. And I said, hey, you're right. The rest of my conversation with Greg can be found on our archives at justagoodconversation.com. Let's take a quick break from my sponsor before diving into my conversation with Street Tree Revival, John Mahoney. I am here with the biggest guest I've had so far with the best beard that even a Viking would be jealous of. Mm. John, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. What a great intro. You look great. Yeah, sorry if it's, you know, you hear it on the microphone. It's so... I, I wish we had this thing live. <laughs> Man, you got a great beard. Three-time Orange County natural champion. No you know, shit, really? Don't want to toot my own horn there, but... Do you water that thing like three times a day Absolutely. and rake it out? Absolutely. Well, it's gorgeous. It's, it's fully fluffed right now. <laughs> It's God. When did you start growing that thing? My beard is 19 years old. 19. Yeah. Wow. 19 years old. Were you a fast beer grower? Like at 12, 13, were you starting to like, I had to shave this thing going daily? I tried. I was in the, you know, I looked Mennonite at 15, <laughs> you know, and I've been trying to grow a beard ever since. Growing up in the tree industry, I just felt... Like, like it, it was a job requirement. It was a job requirement. Right. I mean, you should be in Alaska or Montana with that thing. We're in Anaheim right now. I it's kind of not very, you know, Anaheimish, right? You should have mouse ears on and something and, you know, a Disney tattoo on your lower back. That's right. But no, now you're sporting this like total man beard. God love you. That's like awesome. When I saw the video, I was like, I hope that's John and not, you know, Stefan and I get the other guy. Like it was perfect. Doing my research, I was like, we before we hit start, I was looking with my friend Mike Greenlee. We got a project we might do on making a table or some chairs. And I found this company, the company which we sit in right now. And my God, what a great story. Tell me about it. All right. So we are at Street Tree Revival. And Street Tree Revival is a recycling program of West Coast Arborists. And West Coast Arborists was started in 1972, I believe, 50 years ago uh, by my dad my aunt and my uncles. So they all started trimming trees and working, you know, 
intestine and a couple of years after they were, they were trimming trees for George, the tree man. And, <laughs> and you know, he, the story goes that they were walking home from school in Tustin okay. and this guy pulled over on the side of the road with a, with a truck and said, Hey, do you guys want to, you know, chip brush today? You know, help drag brush. That's what they, you know, called it dragon brush. And they said, sure. And they hopped in the truck and they drove to their own house. So the first job they ever got was trimming the trees at their own house. And they said, this is our house. And then George said, I don't care whose house it is, you know, get to work. So the first job they ever got was trimming the trees at their own house. And a couple years later, George said, if you save your money to my dad, Pat, you know, you could buy my truck from me. And they did. And how now, old is your dad at this point? Uh, he started working for him at 16. Holy criminy. He was a kid. Yeah, a kid. And wow. Saved his money and got a, uh, a loan with grandpa for $5,000. And they bought the truck. And now the company's grown to 1,100 employees. And we trim trees for over 330 different uh, public agencies throughout California and Arizona. What did your dad see at like at the time that the, the business was offered to him that like, yeah, I think I could do this. I think I'd want to do this as a career. I mean, buying a company is a big step as he was in his 20s, right? Yeah, I think he bought it when he was 18. He bought the truck from from George when he was 18. And uh, But previously, my uncle, like just a backstory on, yeah. on the uh, the hustle that my dad has. He, uh, My uncle worked at Angel Stadium. Okay. And, you know, every morning all the kids would show up and they would give certain kids a job. And my dad was like 10 years old. And they wouldn't give him a job, but he showed up every day. And, you know, finally they said, okay, Mahoney, you're in. And he was the only guy that could skip, you know, one step at a time. Everyone knows the, the stairs at baseball stadiums are huge. Right. And he would take one step at a time, big, long legs. My dad's also 6'4 and super long legs. So right. boom, he would hustle selling peanuts and then got in, you know, which you think maybe that was his first job in the trees, right? Nuts grow from trees. But peanuts are actually like a, a legume, not right. a real nut. But yeah, almost his first tree job. And then, you know, so he started trimming trees. And, uh, you know, they were trimming the trees for all their friends. They would push start the trucks in the morning. Uh, they would use little Datsun trucks to tow the boom trucks. Right. I don't know if everyone knows what a boom truck is, but like a cherry picker. Right. And uh, the cherry pickers used to have an engine that would run the motor just for the lift. Okay. And the engines in the trucks didn't run. So they would tow the truck down the street, but the small pony engine in the back would run it. So they'd be towing the trucks down the street and push starting all the vehicles in the morning. A really <laughs> a scrappy operation. Wow. Um, when they started those first couple of years, I mean, where was their region? Where were they doing all the... Was Tustin. Just Tustin. Yeah, I mean, Tustin... In the surrounding area, Irvine. Uh, Irvine you know, must have been, I mean, new, God, in 73, 74, Irvine had 16 people. Yeah. And, I mean, a lot of farms, right? Right. And all the windrows for the eucalyptus. I think, like, uh, El Toro Ranch back in the day. You know, if you... Yeah, uh, El Toro Base was still active. Still active. Jesus. Yeah. What a time that must have been to be out there to watch they all used that to, growth. In the drag strip uh, right off the freeway, right? Right, yes. I heard stories of that my yeah, whole life. Yeah, Wild Country Safari was out there and everything, yeah. Yeah, Cecil the Lion is still buried <laughs> on the hill. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, he really saw that South County area really grow. Oh, yeah. 
Especially from a cherry picker. Yeah, exactly. From Jesus. being the, the, having the highest view around. <laughs> right, yeah. Wow. So at that point, he buys the truck, takes over the company, starts running it. I mean, is he thinking it's a long-term thing? I mean, 18-year-olds can flip a switch in a dime and be like, I'm out of here. No, I think they knew it was a time where cities were not, you know, I, th- I wish I could quote what, what law got passed or, you know, what changed. But a lot of cities used to do all their own tree work. Okay. And then it was subcon- you know, it was right when things got, started getting subcontracted out. Mm-hmm. And I think they saw that as an opportunity to grow. And, you know, if you trim trees for, you know, uh, residents, maybe there's five trees per resident. Okay. And, uh, you know, cities and municipalities and schools have larger urban forests. Okay. So less customers, but with a larger urban forest wow. that they could manage. And then they slowly started looking at, uh, you know, cities. I think the first city that they ever trimmed trees for was Whittier. Really? Which is cool. Yeah. Okay. And this, that was their first city contract. And then uh, slowly, with great customer service, you know, and a positive attitude, and they started growing to more city contracts. And then in the 90s, like kind of in the vein of Street Tree Revival, and they realized they can't just cut trees down. Okay, so there was a thought, like, this cannot be just cut and dumped to a landfill. Right. They could, I mean, and my uncle will tell me, you know, we, we all had olive root ball tables, and they've been doing, <laughs> you know, wood. You know, everybody's been doing wood forever. But in the 90s, they realized they, need to, they can't just start cutting them down, and they need to have a planting effort. Okay. So that's in, when we started planting trees. And now we have a, you know, we're planting, like we have a nursery down the street from here and we plant about 2000 trees a month out of that location. And then we have other locations up in Northern California and Arizona. But so from not from only cutting trees down to now doing, you know, planting trees. And that was a big uh, push forward to, in, to think about the future, right? If we just cut them all down, we're not going to have uh, anything to do. And we know the benefits of trees, right? Right. Right. They're, it's healthy. It's great to have. Yeah, what are the benefits of trees? You know, right. I like to ask this question occasionally. Would that be okay? What sure. Hit me with some benefits. Well, so, okay, you're going to have wildlife. That's great. You're going to mm. have, like, lots of plants that are going to give you, like, bees and fla- uh, 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 birds. That's right. right. Shade. Duh. duh. That's simple. Right. It's going to return the oxygen for you. So that's Boom. a huge one. Yeah. Uh, it's going to beautify the area. No one wants to live out in the nowhere Joshua tree with just Joshua trees. Totally. So, yeah, it's obviously good. Improves your life right. like that. I, those were all great answers. Yeah. Food. Food. Right. Bing, yeah. Bang, bang, boom. Right. Jobs. It's, yep. Trees yeah. provide jobs too. Yeah. So where, where I live in Fullerton, almost everybody either has an orange tree or an avocado tree because we live in the 100-year-old district. So that's what the farmer homes used to have back then. That's the best. Yeah. I love Fullerton's Urban Forest. Oh, it's great. So when did you guys start to look at cities and say, God, you guys put in the wrong trees? Well, I mean, so trees take a long time to grow and they last a really long time. So you have, you know, choices that were made back in the day. Right. Like, yeah. you know, where trees where you have the, the street is lined with all the same tree. Right. Jacarandas. Jacarandas. We live on a magnolia, you know. So that now is not how you're supposed to do it, right? Because if you have a bug that comes in and you wipe out that whole street. Yeah, gutted. Gutted. If you remove all the trees, do you know what happens to the life expectancy of the people? You know, the the death rate will go up on that street. People die when trees, like if you remove all the trees in a neighborhood, 
the death rate goes up of the people, which is like a wild wow, thing really? that happens. That synergy, like it affects them in that way? Yes. So now what, they're, what they've thought about, and when we started, you know, there wasn't uh, like a trade group or the word arborist was not a thing. Right, right. Totally not a thing. Totally not a thing. And, you know, when we took on that name, it used to be George the Tree Man. <laughs> we, we took on West Coast Arborists. Okay. And that was when the arboriculture and, like, you know, public recognition of what an arborist is was really started growing. Wow. And there's the International Society of Arboriculture. And my dad, and they were on a team that's, that made the standards to grow that, that uh, career path almost. Not career path, but you know, for the ISA standards to become a certified arborist. Wow. And so his, I mean, all my, and my dad was a past president of the ISA. My aunt was past president. We've got all this cool history. So going back through the, the so certification if, process. Right. And if you've got a street, what's it, what's it good to have then line every third tree, a different tree? How so does that they pattern say, work? They say one species should not make up more than 6% of your total urban forest. Okay. So, like, literally, I live on Wilshire, and, like, the whole thing's lined with, you know, magnolia trees. Yeah. All the way down. Right. And my, and my neighborhood's liquid ambers. They're all getting roasty toasty right now. Really? They're all, you know, dying back, and it's not cool. So I wish there was. Right. I mean, mine, I mean, when those things were put in in, you know, 1920, they had no idea what it was going to do to the sidewalks, the homes, the foundations, there driveways. There was no sidewalks. Right. There wasn't. I mean, my garage was for the horse carriage when it was built in 1921, right? So, I mean, that's just how it was. Right. There weren't cars. I mean, like, when they, there's a photo of, I live on a street where the eight homes, I live in one of the eight, where there's the original track housing of Orange County. So those eight homes, that was a development. They showed the opening day ribbon cutting where like the mayor came out and everybody, there's people on horseback. There's like one old model T, but mostly everybody's in wool suits in the middle of the summer on horseback doing the ribbon cutting. That is wild. And the trees were six feet tall. Then they just dropped them into the ground and done. Right. That was it. Nobody thinks like hundred years later, they're, Tearing up the roads. Oh, yeah. So is that thought for us now? Now, more cities are, are realizing that, and that is a, uh, a service that we offer, is to do an urban forest management plan. So some cities, like their tree ordinances, are 70 years old. Some cities don't have any tree ordinances. Some cities, like Menlo Park, you know, we're like in Facebook territory up right. there. Their heritage tree, if you have a tree that's 12 inches, that's considered a heritage tree. And if you cut it down, you have to plant something like 25 to 30 more. So there's just a huge variance from city to city. And now more cities, like I think Ontario, uh, we just finished doing a master plan for them a few years ago. And so that, you know, taking um, more interest in the trees and thinking about these things. And what's going to, one thing we're thinking about now is what's going to, so there's kind of a battle out there between native plants and non-native plants. Sure. So in the tree world, you know, and people are like native plant hardy, you know, <laughs> which is great. The urban forest of California really is in like 5% of the, of the state, right? Everyone lives right along the coast. Right. And that's where the majority of the urban forest is. 
and native plants, like what are the native trees? You know, when we look at the mission pictures of San Juan Capistrano mission, there's like maybe a tree in the background. Right. Very little. Yeah. A couple handful of species. So really, and if, as the temperature changes, right, as the climate's changing, we're looking at trees that will thrive 100 years out. Sure, right. Not so tomorrow. Not tomorrow. Years. So yeah. maybe trees we planted, you know, 60 years ago maybe aren't the right choice. Or native oaks maybe not be the right choice because they're going to start struggling as it gets hotter and hotter. So Cal Poly, San Luis Obispo, there's a tree nerd there. Matt Ritter. Ooh, shout out Matt Ritter. Woo, woo. <laughs> Blows my mind every time I talk to him. So they've, they've got this list called Select Tree, and it's selecttree.org. I recommend anybody looking for trees. All right, take and, a dive. And they've they've selected, I think the list is 1,500 trees that will thrive over the next 100 years in you know, the different categories, areas right. that you live in, microclimates. Sure. The zones in which, zones. yep. And so, you know, that's like we're including that now, you know, lesser planted species, more exciting stuff. You know, there's like new species coming in all the time. And, uh, you know, people might say, are, are they going to be invasive? But without water, you know, trees aren't really going to, they're not going to migrate across the desert. Right. You know, and it's really such a small area that there's really not in, invasive trees. But people would argue that. You know? Right, of course. Uh, do you look back at it now because you're out there, you're, you know, they're cutting trees down that are 100 years old, 60 years old, 50 years old. Is it is it one of those things you look at and go, that's not good to be near a sidewalk. That's not good to be near a road. Yes. That's not good to be near the gas lines, water lines, sewer lines. Like they're neither, they're not a deep root tree. They're a ball root tree. Like there's all, you know, you know this, everything underneath that ground, they're all different the way they grow. Right. We just see above, but underneath it's a whole different world. Yeah. And so now planting now, you know, there's way more things that we're, we're looking at and paying attention to because- there's so, the education around trees has grown so much right. since they planted those 80, 100-year-old trees. Right, Pasadena, for the oh, of exactly. God, that place, Jesus. Monster trees. Monster trees, but they're just lifting up everything. And during a storm? They, yeah, right. The 2011 windstorm? That's kind of when... <laughs> I love it. You say it like that was a mark on the calendar, like it really was. It was huh? a mark on the calendar. It was crazy. Anyone that lived in, our, in that area, in Arcadia, it took us... We worked 24-7 for three weeks to remove the, clear the roads of the logs. So when trees fall down, you know, we were talking earlier about uh, the, the pandemic. Right. You know, tree work is a first responder thing. If, you, if, a, if a log is blocking the road, an ambulance can't get through. Mm-hmm. Right. So during windstorms, the tree guys... They're almost super duper important. Right. You, know? you get the call. You get the call. Emergency work. You know, this week we've got storms going crazy. You know, 187 calls on Friday and Saturday. You know, emergency calls across the state. And it's pretty wild to wow. think about, you know, what's going on, you know, with the trees. And then you don't think about it when you have a big disaster like that. Or even in general, what happens to the trees in your front yard? And that 2011 windstorm kind of opened our eyes a little bit more to this is a bio resource and we shouldn't be chipping it. And then the, you know, street tree revival was kind of born out of that windstorm. Wow. Seeing all these huge trees. Monsters. Don't, don't want them to go. I mean, firewood is great. I love 
Sure. You know, I, there's nothing better than a guitar. Right. And a campfire. And it's magical. But when you have these big monster trees, is that the best use for it? You know, maybe there's an opportunity to make furniture or, you know, anything. Anything, right? I, I mean, you're sitting out there, you're telling me this is going to a guitar place and this is going to that. and Wow. Wood is humankind's most favorite building material. Oh, yeah. Forever. Easy. Into eternity. Yeah. We're, I mean, wasn't that long ago, a couple of years ago, up in like Claremont, they had a huge windstorm up by the schools and there's homes getting hit by trees and the roads and this and that. I mean, are you kind of a bit of a weather nerd where you're keeping track of storms and windstorms to know like, hey guys, we might be on call at 3 a.m. because we got to clear out so-and-so street. Oh yeah. Right now, I think we have 50, 50 guys we've, we sent up to Northern California to help out. You know? Whoa. So it's, it, it is, we know it and we prepare for it. And, uh, and then, you know, it takes a long time to remove all the logs, but our sort yards, we have two sort yards, one in Northern California and one in Ontario. And that's where the guys will, or the crews will dump all the logs. So over the next. Yeah. It's a huge space in Ontario. I checked it out on yeah. Google earth, man, that's like a lumber yard playground. It's pretty fun, but you need a ton of space to right. really be able to deal with, uh, this resource. Massive trees. Mass, I mean, California has the biggest trees, the fattest trees, and the tallest trees in the world. Why is that? It's Just the, It's the best coast, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got the Sequoia Sempervirens, which is a coast redwood. Okay. It's the, fat, uh, it's the tallest. Right. Then you have Sequoia Gigantea, which is the giant sequoia, which is the fattest. Okay. And then you have the um, bristlecone pines which are the oldest. Wow. I don't know exactly like the scientific reason why sure. we have the, we have that. Is it a little bit of the weather, humidity, altitude, just, you know, we have a lot of large coasts so you can go up and see those redwoods that are right there getting moisture all the time. Oh, There's yeah, a lot the of fog. Yeah. yeah. So currently, I mean, locally we still have a lot of redwoods planted, but one, you know, thing when you're thinking about salvage in, in the urban forest, a lot of parks switch to non-potable water. And there's some salt in non-potable water that the redwoods are super sensitive to. And boom, whole parks of redwood trees. You know? Yeah. I love the one in Brea, what they put in the Army Corps of Engineers put in the term, was it, forget what park that is. Carbon Canyon Park. Yes. And you walk into that canopy and the temperature drops Ooh. 30 degrees. Mm. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. We go, I go there regularly. Oh, yeah. If anybody, you know, Carbon Canyon Park. Redwood Forest. Oh, it's a great walk. Everybody does their holiday cards there. Like you just, you feel happy. You walk in, you're surrounded. The smell, the sound. I'm sure you the same way. There's nothing like hearing the wind blow through trees. Mm. It is so magical. It is so magical. It's unbelievable. It's There's nothing like it. Like you could be in any forest and you just hear that wind go through there. There's no sound like that. It's unbelievable. So giddy. I yeah. don't I know. I, I, I've always just remember as a kid because we'd go camping all the time. I was like, ooh, here it comes. Yeah. It, it's high and it's low and it, you can hear it come and go like a freight train. It's the best. Yeah. So, how at what, was there ever a point in time with the company? You, know, you guys make the switch, and you know, that's interesting that a storm makes the switch into what, you know. So, actually, I'll, I mean, be honest. The Cal Fire 
you know, we got a grant from Cal Fire. They realized that, you know, there's, I think there's something like 460 million tons of carbon could be sequestered from the urban forest over the next 30 years. And across the United States, this wood was not being utilized, right? It goes into a chipper. So not only in California's urban forests are all the trees going to waste, but, you know, it used to go in the landfill. So Cal Fire and the Forest Service gave a bunch of money to try to start a program. And I think 20 years ago we, is when our program started. But there was never, we never took it serious enough for it to really get, get off, the, off the ground. You have to, so in wood and lumber, you might think that the saw, you know, you buy a sawmill and then you make lumber and, and the story's over. You know, it's all done. But really, the sawmill's 10% of it, and the rest is um, material handling and caring for the material. So if you have a tree that falls down, you need to wax the ends to stop the water from coming out. Okay. You know, it's losing moisture, like, super fast. Wood wants to be in equilibrium with the moisture in the air. In California, you know, in Southern California, we have low humidity. So the moisture content some days... You know, if our humidity is 10%, the wood wants to be 3.5% moisture content, just like dry. If it's 80%, that's 20% moisture content in the wood. So the wood's constantly, you know, trying to be in equilibrium with the air. So if you have a, a fresh tree, it's fully swollen. It gives off that water as fast as it can to try to be into equilibrium. After five weeks, the wood inside a log has degraded by 50%. So if you don't mill a log, it's kind of like a carrot, right? At the grocery store, they have them under sprinklers, and you hear the thunder. Well, I'm going to install a thunder box at the sawmill next week because we got to keep the logs under a sprinkler to keep them swollen and be able to process the material super fast. And then you have to you know, take care of it and keep it out of the sun because it can go to rotten fruit very quickly and easily. And then the amount of time it takes to dry lumber is an inch per year. So if you don't set yourself up for success, you don't find out if you're successful for three years. So it's like a long, you know, long process where you have to set the wood up, take care of it right, put it to sleep for three years, go to church every Sunday, (laughs) say your prayers with feeling, and then you can have a beautiful urban wood product. But it takes a long time for it. So our first go at it, you know, we never really took it as serious as it needed to be taken. But now we're making improvements and every, you know, every year you get to see the improvements you made three years ago. Right. Was, uh, was it, I mean, was there a market? I mean, yeah, you did it because you saw that there's a better way to take care of these trees and not just chip them up, throw them in a landfill and walk away. Right. But was there a market for the need for the wood? People love wood. And, you know, as, as simple as like cut, we call them cookies. If you take a log and cut it into a cookie, a coin, mm-hmm. the wedding industry in Orange County uses billions of gajillions of cookies every year for centerpieces, right? You put a centerpiece. I never thought I'd be in the wedding industry, but we cut a ton of cookies. If you're make yourself available, there's a huge desire for it, right? They sell cookies at Target, you know, and they import that from Indonesia or Vietnam, but now and then, but you say, is there a market for it? And that's kind of a, uh, when I go to these urban wood events and when we're talking about it, you know, on a bigger picture, 
everyone talks about the market, but really, unless you have an excellent product, you know, the lumber industry has been around for a long year and they were traditionally using the best of the best of the best, right? Now they're opening up a little bit, right? Knots are more acceptable. Sapwood is more acceptable now where before it was only heartwood and they'd only take the best of the best. So we have this huge industry standard that the lumber industry knows how to make perfect lumber. Mm -hmm. Tree guys don't know how to make perfect lumber. So you really have to have a solid product before the market. Right. Because otherwise they're not going to buy anything. It takes such a long time. Kind of when we started this, I you just had to put your blinders on mm-hmm. and process as much material as you can and set yourself up for success. And then at that three-year mark, it started growing. Starting to grow. Because, you know, you can... You could grow trees to make lumber. Yes. You guys are getting a lot of your trees that aren't developed that way. They're just on a street or they're on a, you know, a park or whatever. So you're not taking the best lumber, but it looks the best. It's fantastic. Its characteristics are gorgeous. Yes. And unknown species, like we were talking earlier, you know, there's seven native species. You know, most sawmills will mill one or two species. Right. Right. The guy, they'll go to the pine or the redwood or whatever it is. Exactly. The West Coast is a softwood, you know, producer traditionally. Well, we have the average city in California currently has over 260 species of trees. (laughs) With some cities like San Diego, I think the San Diego Balboa Park and the zoo combined, maybe there's over 700 types of trees from all over the world. You know, we plant 500 Chinese pistache, you know, every two months. Chinese pistache is the fourth wood sold as zebra wood. Zebra wood is exotic, you know. Wow. And so we've got all these cool species that have been going in the trash for the last 50 years. And now we get to make that available to the public. And once people know about it, you know, the desire is right. It's often right is there. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that is awesome. It's, it's very interesting too. Like they don't do like, when I grew up, you had wood shop. Yeah. So you learned how to work, do wood. I did a paper clip and a clock and a this and a that, you know, for mom and dad for two years. And then I had it in high school. They don't have it as much anymore. So younger boys and men aren't readily exposed to the wood industry like they used to be. But social media, YouTube channels, Instagram has changed a lot of that. And now you see these guys that are doing great stuff, great channels on YouTube and they're converting garages or making barns or whatnot. And they're, they're doing good stuff. Has that really kind of jump started and helped you guys out? Cause now there's guys making crazy products and they need this kind of beautiful wood. Yeah, I think it has. And it's, it's in vogue right now. Right. Yeah. But maybe it would, our urban wood program didn't work 30 years ago because it wasn't, it wasn't the right time. Right. Yeah. Right now there's like a a thought about recycling and, you know, people care about this stuff. It's like almost primed for the perfect time to do it. Slabs, slabs are so popular, right? Yeah. Some furniture makers think that, you know, the, we've hit the peak on slabs. You know, there was a slab pop slabs were popular in the Mm sixties. You know, George Nakashima made the beautiful slab furniture popular. So I think that helped ride the, you know, help us to gain momentum. But going forward, we know that dimensional lumber, you know, we want to be, we want to go more to industry okay, and to have a bigger impact, right? Because right now I'm not using all the logs that we can. 
and you know by selling one and two we really need to focus on dimensional lumber or you know squared up lumber not without a live edge and because that can be used by like a large manufacturer like taylor guitars so taylor guitars was our first you know large manufacturer that we started working with and that has been a a huge proof of concept that you know what's i i'd argue that a guitar is one of the finer wood objects you could make and to make a beautiful sonic machine out of a local street tree that used to go in the landfill is like a major proof of concept and you know is going to help take this resource and keep it out of the trash because of that yeah i mean regardless of whatever's being done with it, you got to sleep better at night knowing you're not dumping it into a landfill when it has a purpose. It can be used. And like you said, yes, there's a place for firewood, but you're talking about if you can make furniture and guitars and who doesn't want to hear that music and all the other things, right? I don't know if you've got a cello in mind or a... I'm, hey, a double bass, a cello, <laughs> yo-yo ma. Come on, let's... I would love that. That would be... I mean, ukuleles have been made, cajones... Uh, you know, what a sweet story. And the parts sure. that, that we're making for with Taylor's, it's the back and sides. So one of my favorite things is to say it's the, it's the part you hold towards your heart, <laughs> you know? Right. It's like, and, you know, a guitar can last 80, 200 years. Sure. The trees that we're removing for the guitars are shamal ash. They're native to Mexico. They were brought to the Riverside area by a guy named Archie Shamal in the 30s. So it's, you know, but this used to be Mexico too. So I sure. like, to, I like right. to call it a native, you know, but shamal ash, a lot of the trees are 60 years old or thereabouts that we're taking out. And those guitars are going to last 200 years, some of them. So the lifespan of that tree by recycling a local street tree into a wood product, we sometimes double the life that that tree had in the first place. Whew. Which what? is like, makes me like swell with pride. Right. What's the toughest tree to take down? Which one gives you a good fight? Aleppo pine and Canary Island pine. Why is that? It's extremely saturated with sap and it's way harder than you would think. You know, there's a kind of a hardwoods and softwoods. Mm -hmm. Do you know what makes a wood a hardwood or one a softwood? No, you're going to tell me. I'm going to learn right now. Cones are softwoods and flowers are hardwoods. Okay. So, and generally they're hard and soft, but not always. Like balsa wood, you familiar with maybe yep. the wooden airplane? Yep. That's a hardwood. Right. It's just machined really nice and thin down. Right. And Aleppo pine is a softwood, but it's the worst wood for us to mill. And it's like, it gives us the hardest time. Oh. It's like, ugh, Does so it really dense. make things, is it just a, a beast on the machines? It just really make gunks everything gunks up? Gunks everything up, but even that, it's just how abrasive it is on the tools. Right. You know, so just for example, you know, Ganal Lumber is a lumber shop locally here mm -hmm. that we do a lot of secondary remanufacturing with, and they couldn't resaw it, which is just funny. You think of pine, you know, being a cheap, easy sure. wood. Sure. But this pine is from originally Aleppo, Syria. You know, it's strong. So it's a beast. Hard it's just beast. What's the easiest uh, tree to take down? The one that you're like, eh, you don't have a chance, sucker. <laughs> Redwoods. <laughs> Redwoods are like the easiest to, for us to mill. You know, they're very soft. Uh, ficus is pretty soft too in the beginning, but we don't really. You know, the thing that makes it hard is there's lots of foreign objects inside urban trees. 
Oh. Like a lost dog sign. Or I hadn't a lost even thought cat of that, sign, right? Yeah. Cent, or flip your house. Or come work for me for $30,000 a month, you know. Some so that six-foot mark, you got to look boom. at all those nails that oh, have been yes. there for years. You find weird stuff inside trees. What's the weirdest thing you guys have found? We were in, so in, on the Mission Street in San Francisco, we okay. removed some ficus trees. And it was a, you know, the town and the community were really tied to these trees. They didn't want to see them go. You know, a lot of trees, people right. have an emotional relation. That's a cool thing about trees, you know. They, they strike a chord in your heart, you know, which is amazing. And sometimes it's sad when they need to, to get come down, get cut down. So we removed these trees and we milled them all and they got returned to the city of San Francisco and they're going to reuse all that wood, which is, you know, going to be really cool. We cut in and there was this about uh, a little bit bigger than a silver dollar size, kind of shiny inside the wood. So we cut the log, opened it up and we look in there and there's this kind of like, reflective almost start picking at it and it was a baggie like a little plastic baggie bindled you know bundled up and tucked in a tree i thought maybe we were going to find something you know inappropriate in there <laughs> some drugs or something you know and we were all there with the city and everyone had a good laugh but it was an empty baggie <laughs> but that was pretty pretty uh, exciting one we've cut right through golf balls right in half tons of bullets we found a football the other day you uh, know uh, a football, a football. Oh, in the tree. Well, you throw it up in the tree. They didn't, they didn't know how to climb it. And then the tree kept on growing, and it grew over the football. And so we cut right through a, a football. Whoa! <laughs> Little Timmy's been looking for that That's football right. for 30 years, yeah. and it's, it's here in Anaheim. <laughs> Holy crap. Yeah, so you find all sorts of... See, the tree is, a, is an unbelievable thing. Like it, it heals itself, it grows over itself, it's constantly in motion. It doesn't seem like it because we look at it from day to day, but if you look at it over years and decades, it's it's moving and shaking and doing its own thing. Oh, yeah, and communicating with other trees. Right. The wood wide web, you know, through the roots and the, and the relationship with the mycorrhizae and the fungus. Right. You know, it's a web, and it's pretty incredible. Jesus. What's, what's the biggest... Let's talk about, you know, taking care of your tree. Yeah. Uh, you got a tree at your house. Yes. Tree care. People don't think of that. Uh, and, and some people don't even water their tree. Just if the water gets on their tree, either from the lawn or the sprinklers, that's taking care of the tree. Exactly. Yeah, that's true. What's tree care 101? So water, right. Okay. Watering your tree, especially a young tree. It takes a tree maybe three years to establish a, a root deep enough to maybe tap into some other water sources. And one of the other things is that people don't realize lawns. Lawns are one of the biggest factors in slowing a tree's success. A tree can survive with a lawn, but will, a tree will thrive without a lawn which is kind of interesting okay. and you don't think about that. So the, a lawn is really competing with the tree. Another thing, a weed whacker, you know, a tree, the, the life of a tree is right underneath the bark all around the tree. That's called the cambium layer. So if someone comes with a weed whacker or a lawnmower and cuts the cambium layer all the way around the tree, instant adios. Yeah, you're scalping that tree. Yeah, and it's going to die, which is like, you know, wild. How much, how much distance should you keep your grass from your tree trunk? Well, you know, that's an expert thing. I'll, I'll be honest, and I'll, I'll, I'll come clean right now. I just took my arborist test last week. 
It wasn't on there. You know, it was on there. It might have been on there, but did I pass? You know, I'm more of a uh, okay, a, but safety. What two to three I think, feet? I think two to three feet is safe to keep the lawnmower away from it. Right. Just you know, put in some mulch and some dirt. And That's let right. It, let the tree have its space. That's right. Right. Don't have the grass hunk right up to it. And I would use the Select Tree website when people are selecting trees. That's another thing. Yeah. Right. Tree, right tree, right place is kind of a thing that is a. Uh, distance to your house, sidewalk. What do you want the tree to do for you? Right. You shouldn't plant a eucalyptus that's going to grow to 300 feet right next to your house. Right. You know, maybe in the front yard, underneath the power lines. No. Right. R- right. Thing that we have to think about now or that we more think we think about more is power line friendly. Exactly. You know, maybe smaller can, you know, smaller tree doesn't get so tall. So think those are things to think about. Is it smarter, you know, because I don't know if people think about this, maybe a little more today than they did 20 years ago. Is it smarter to grow more fruit trees for you in in your yard? Like, cause to it's me, funny. a tree that produces food, that's amazing. Right. I don't understand why developers, it's not like for all the restrictions of God knows California loves good restrictions and laws. <laughs> why, you know, we got to put solar panels on this and I got to walk around with a plastic this and that and I know plastic bags and straws. But there's nobody that says, oh, every new home that's developed has to have a fruit tree in it. I don't care if it's lime or lemon or whatever. Like, what the hell? Why yeah. isn't that mandatory? Yeah, every new home has to have solar, be solar ready, right? Any new right. roof, that should be like, oh, you're replacing your roof? You have to plant a fruit tree. Right. <laughs> because even if you don't want a lemon, maybe next door the, the Wilsons want a lemon and they've got an avocado. So you do the switch and the whole neighborhood now becomes a farmer's market. So cool. Well, I mean, yeah, missed opportunity. But for a city, I understand why, because of maintenance, right? Makes more of a mess. But if it's in your backyard? That's cool. And I say, go for it. Plant away. Right. That's what I'm saying. In the backyard. Yeah. Well, I mean. I say heirloom fruit trees, Australian finger limes. Something. Something new and fresh. Because if you look at homes developed today, they don't really put trees in backyards, right? Normally trees are on the parkway. Right. The city does it. Yeah. It's kind of up to the residents to put in a tree, but geez, it sh- I don't want to put more restrictions on the developers, but it seems like it's low, quote unquote, it's low hanging fruit. For sure. God's sake. Sure. And every uh, uh, shower drain should re- lead to watering the trees. <laughs> Something. That would be a cool move. Yeah. But there's not a lobbyist really out there, you know, for the trees to make those things. You know, we got to, we got to be that for the trees. Right. When did, when did you get involved? I in got involved. I was, uh, I was, uh, so I moved to Northern California. I went to boarding school and based in outdoor education. Okay. And I got to be whitewater rafting guide for two years. And I really fell in love with nature. And then I came back and started working at our firewood yard. My dad's partners with a uh, Tom Rogers Wood Hill firewood. And I started working there and making firewood. You know, I didn't last too long <laughs> making firewood. Too tall. It's a lot of bending over. What goes into making firewood? There's a lot that goes into making firewood. You know, you got to cut the firewood to perfect lengths. Okay. So what's a perfect length on a firewood? Well, depends on what neighborhood you're ah, in. Okay. You know, how big's your fireplace? 14 the, inches? What, 16 inches? Is that pretty standard? A or? lot of firewood users are aging. Okay. So they used to burn 24 inches. Now they want 16 inch wood because it's lighter. <laughs> You know, okay. so there is some, there's a lot to think about. And then you have yeah. to dry firewood too, right? Firewood right. has to be under 17% moisture content to be considered a clean burning fuel. 
Okay. So you really, you know, have to dry it out. And if anybody wants to see a beautiful firewood yard, someone that takes great care and passion with it, Woodhill Firewood in Irvine is gorgeous. Really? Yes. Okay. Is it, is, is it worth a day trip just to go check it's it out? It's worth a day trip. And then, so it's absolutely worth a day trip. So I started working there and then I fell in love in, in the firewood business. You don't have a lot of sales in summer, right? It's like a winter business. Sure. And I would start, I fell in love with chainsaw carving. And that's where my love for recycled wood really started, right? I would see all these beautiful logs that I could see potential on the inside. And we didn't have a sawmill at that time, but a chainsaw, that's a one-person right. sport right there. Yeah, it's a dance, right? It's a dance. It's like, and, you know, grew up, you know, they said I had ADHD, attention deficit, <laughs> hyperplasure. And a chainsaw is a, the fastest tool for removing wood, and you can make art extremely fast, right? It doesn't take a long time. In, in an hour and a half, you can turn a log into something that will sell for way more than firewood. And that's kind of how I fell in love with recycling wood. And then because of our relationships with all the cities, like next time you drive to Whittier, there's going to be a sign that says Whittier welcomes you. There's 10 of them in the city. I made four of them. Wow. You know? So, and then if a, like in Ventura, they lost a bunch of trees mm-hmm. and the, during the fires and uh, we made a giant Phoenix out of a big Aleppo pine, 26 feet tall, rising from the flames. And so I got to see the, the impact that, you know, recycling trees into art can have on a community. But then really I realized, you know, one piece of art, you know, there's so much wood going to waste. It's crazy how much wood every year gets turned into firewood or goes through the mulcher. And that's just as the, you know, community's forests are aging, there's more wood coming out. And, you know, like there's a, they, um, on YouTube and Mr. Beast, those guys that plant a million trees, Elon donated a million dollars to tree planting. You know, it's like all of a sudden $26 million donated to tree planting for Arbor Day Foundation. Well, more trees in ultimately means more trees out, right? Mm-hmm. The only thing that we know is that the end is out there, right? right? Trees will die. They don't live forever. So if we're planting more trees and that's not going to slow down, right? Everybody loves trees. Right. Greta Thunberg, she's a tree plant. You know, she loves them. <laughs> it's the best machine out there for removing carbon from the air. And we're all about that. So there's, the tree planting is not slowing down. It's only going to increase. So the recycling of trees also needs to increase, and these systems need to be put in place so that all this wood doesn't just go go to waste. Now, because you said tree or axe work or, or yeah, the chainsaw, chainsaw like it's I, I was stunned like are you pre-visualizing what you're doing how are you coming up with like i'm gonna make this a man or a bear or a indian with you know cigars like what are you doing are you drawing stuff first and then going really, to town on it i'm a terrible drawer but <laughs> says a man with a chainsaw yeah, yeah. like no i think you're the best drawer ever <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's, you know, it's kind of drawing in 3D, right? Okay. So you kind of, I, I approach it from a, you know, I do a side view and a front view and I cut out the side view okay. and then I cut out the front view and then you get to qu- cut the corners off and you're nearly there. What chainsaw do you use? Is, oh, it, a, is yeah. it a smaller one, bigger one? What's your... Only the big, I use a 50 inch bar. 
Jesus. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I got a Husqvarna 445 with an 18-inch bar with a quarter tip. Normally, a chainsaw bar has a big nose, right? Uh-huh, it's a right. three-inch thick bar. A chainsaw carving bar has a dime tip, and the kickback zone is a lot smaller, so it's actually a lot safer to use the nose of the chainsaw with a carving bar on there. Wow. So it seems like really dangerous, obviously. It, sure. Chainsaw turns blood and bone <laughs> into a fine mist, but can also be a extremely detailed, fine tool to make art, which I wouldn't have believed it myself, but now I'm a big believer. Big believer. Yeah, and you can turn, you know, trash into treasure quickly. So that's kind of where I fell in love with, you know, seeing all this wood go to waste. And I just fell in love with it. And now we have an opportunity. We have a responsibility as West Coast arborists to do right by this material, right? We, you know, have over 11 million trees in our company's database. Another thing that we say about ourselves is we're a technology company that trims trees for communities who care about trees. So we have a database and an inventory system where if you're one of our customers, we will inventory your trees. So like I was just saying, we have 11 million trees in inventory. We can pull it up on our app. We can see all the trees that are recommended for removal. You know, but really the cities decide if a tree needs to come down. We can just recommend, you know, if the, as an arborist, we can say this tree, you know, is risky and should be coming down. Mm-hmm. But it also gives the, we can visualize all the planting sites and we have all that data on the size of the planting sites so that we can really maximize the uh, impact we can have on the urban forest. When I walked in to the wood shop, workshop, the showroom, showroom, like I'm not telling you how to run a business, but you need to get some hammocks out there because I'm <laughs> telling you it would be nap time around here. Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, it's the smell. It's unbelievable. I mean, do you kind of realize you work in a wood shop world of Disney? Like it's just, not a bad place to work. Oh, I do. I count my blessings every day. I mean, your dad could have been a mechanic, mechanic or, oh, yeah. or I don't go home smelling like a... grease. I get to smell like Vicks Vapor Rub when I'm cutting camphor. Right. You know, every tree has an amazing scent. And t- I feel fortunate that we get to make it available to the public. Right. You know, it's not like a specialized thing. We make it available. Anybody can come in and we are turning this into... A resource and the warmth of wood is real. Oh my God! Yeah, I'm yeah. bringing my kids. Yeah, and we're we're coming down. I mean, it's just walk in and, and you immediately you feel like the weight of the world off your shoulders, and it smells great. And there you are with the water bottle showing off grains, and it's just like, do I tip somebody? <laughs> like, is are there drinks and some cheese and crackers? I mean, it was just so pleasant. Yeah. I mean, good lord. Yeah, it's. It's a special room, it right? It's a special room. <laughs> How long has that room been there? This is our fourth year in business having like a retail location. Oh, man. And it changes changes over all the time. So we have two types of kilns in, An- in Anaheim, and one of them rotates every two weeks, and one of them rotates every week. Yeah, that thing's a beat. That thing showed it to me. That yeah. awesome. So drying wood, a word about drying wood, takes an inch per year to dry wood. With a kiln, you can make that faster. A traditional kiln, like a dehumidification kiln, two-inch wood can take three months, four months. And then we bought a vacuum kiln, and that can dry the wood in about two weeks using vacuum pressure to lower the boiling point of water. So we've got 
wood coming out, new wood. Our, our showroom has a high turnover rate, and there's new wood uh, all the time. Jesus. And it's fun to be able to see it. You know, you drive right. by these trees all the time. You don't know what they look like on the inside. Yeah, I mean, you you were showing me, you're spraying, giving me grain review, and it's just, it's stunning. I don't think people really know, like, the beauty of different trees and what it does. And you're saying you could see what was cut at one point with, an, with a saw and then how it heals itself. And the the life of the tree on the inside, it's such a story. Yeah. And you can really see it in it. And it's unbelievable. I mean, when did you start to learn? And when you look at stuff and say like, like on this table here, that's what? That's a pruning wound in the arborist world. They have a, uh, uh, what is a three letter alliteration? Uh, it's an alliteration called code it C O D I T. So we're looking at a branch that was cut with a chainsaw 30 years ago. So you can see a straight line cut, you know, you can, if you know what you're looking at, right. you can tell what was happened to this tree 30 years ago. And then the tree grows over it. So you have a cut. Fungus lands on the, some spores land on that fresh wound. But there, there's a, if you trim the tree correctly, there's a chemical uh, fight going on. And it won't go any deeper. And it gives it a chance, the tree, to grow over that. So it's called compartmentalization of decay in trees. And it grows over and you can see how it heals and thrives. Now, you said trim the tree properly. What, what's the right and wrong way? So, treesaregood.org. Before you do any tree trimming, make sure that you hire an arborist, right? You don't want to hire someone flying by night. One major reason for not hiring someone, like a fly-by-night landscaper. Landscapers don't really trim trees. Right, yeah. If something happens and they're not insured, it's on the homeowner, mm -hmm. right? So if a tree falls over... That's you. Does a ton of uh, damage. That's you. So ha hiring an arborist and someone that's you know knows about it is the most important thing. And a great website to look at is treesaregood.org. And then another big no-no that nobody knows about, or a lot of people know don't know, and lasts forever is topping trees. A lot of times people will reduce the height of a tree by topping it, and that causes tons of bad problems. Causes like new growth that's uh, weaker and gets bushy. So you have all this weak growth all the way at the top of the tree that could eventually make, you know, more targets. Right. So don't top, don't top. I've got a bumper sticker. Don't, <laughs> don't top trees. Don't top trees. It's funny because I've got Italian cypress in my backyard. And I remember a million years ago as a kid, my grandfather topped his Italian cypress. Like just, I don't know, they were 60 feet tall and he took the top 15, 20 feet off. And then they were straight across. Is that a big no-no? Well, I think it depends on the tree, too. Like, that tree is all kind of smaller growth anyway. Where right. You, that looks yeah. like a big dreadlock, right? Right. So I think that, you know, might be a... An okay tree to trot top? You know, don't, right. don't right, quote right. me on that. But I think that style of growth might be better for that type of tree anyway. But in general, don't... That's a don't do. Don't, don't do. do. So like okay, other battle scars. Like yeah, what, what what's this battle scar? That's here? another bat. That's the same thing. It's got a pruning wound, and it grew over it. So all these knots tell a story. All the knots tell a story. In, yeah, inside you can, inside, you can, you can tell which way the tree was growing. You know, each ring of they call those the annual growth rings. So right. you can count how many rings there are, and to see how old the tree was, you can see, you know, most of these trees get water, right? They're in urban environments, mm -hmm. so they get a chance to grow 
you know, we have huge growth rings on some of our trees, inch and a half, where if you look at old growth wood, right, like guitar tops, they want 10 years per inch. So it needs to have 10 rings per inch, which is an old growth. And I'm talking our trees have, you know, a year and a half is, you know, less than a year per inch Whoa. because the growth ring is so huge. Wow. Which is just fun to look at and right. see the difference. Is is there stuff like that still like shocks you and amazes you when you're looking at different kind of woods? I mean, you're walking around giving me the tour, this one and this one and this one. Is there something you still see and go, whoa? Like I did not know that Bradford pear was so beautiful. People have an issue with Bradford pear too because I think it was, you know, uh, bred to not give fruit right? okay. and not seed out. But so if, there's okay. a, if there's a cousin of that tree, another type of pear within two miles, it'll seed. So it's like a, people hate this tree. It's like a Frankenstein tree, <laughs> but the wood on the inside is gorgeous. And we didn't, we didn't know that. I didn't know that, you know? So every year is we, it's not native. It's not native. So who, no. where did it originate? I from? think it's a European tree. Okay. Which, you know, right. Makes sense why it's here. Sure. Um, but if you look at, like I recently saw an upright base, 200 years old, made out of pear. Really? And for my whole career here, the pear's been going into the waste stream, you know? Don't Didn't know about it. Yeah. And then we did a project where we were looking with Fender guitars at trees that were coming out of Fullerton to do a, you know, Fullerton trees for Fender because mm -hmm. Fender's from Fullerton. And they looked at the list and said, oh, pear's great. And it opened my eyes. I had no idea. And now... Since we have the inventory, it gives us a chance. So if a city puts a uh, removal list together, mm -hmm. every night our system will comb all the new removal lists for trees that we've pre, pre uh, species that we've pre-selected that have a high value for recycling. Right. So now we get to have a couple weeks advance notice, and we can look at it on Google Street View and see if the tree is a good form or if it's obviously would be better to chip, right? Not every tree is built for lumber, but that's really helped us to get a um, better understanding and, and help our, um, the just kind the of workflow. Yeah. yeah. So what you said that not every tree is good for lumber. Yeah. Why? Size, okay. shape, um, consistency, which is probably a different word for that, but right. like crepe myrtles. You know, crepe myrtle tree? Like, no, uh, no. I'm, I am so tree naive. So crepe myrtles don't ever really get big enough to make a, a, a usable wood product okay. or to convince the crews out in the field to not put it through the chipper, right? It takes more work to salvage logs. Right. Of course. The system is set up to where you can get rid of the material. Right. That's Couple what of trucks come in and you can grind her down and, and get them. Yeah. You can make a, a beautiful, super valuable log disappear. In no time. But if you're salvaging, it's a bigger job. Yes. It is a bigger job, and it slows the crews down. Sure. Right? Because then you got to cut, and you got to cut into pieces, and you got to stack it and get it out of there safely. Right. And, you know, <laughs> hope, you know, longer logs, you know. Right. You want longer logs. Sure. Longer logs are heavier. So we're making these slight adjustments to make Yeah, because they're not dry. They're all still wet. Super wet. Oh, boy. Yeah, I mean, you're showing me the one out there. It's, my God, it's massive. Yeah. Huge trees. Yeah, we've got an 8,000-pound cube of wood in the showroom. What is it, three by four, four by four? Yeah, it's, it just it, it's like 50 by 50. The one in the showroom is 50 by 50. Oh, my God. Massive. A massive chunk. So 
is not every tree good for firewood? Or do you just make that Some decision would, like, no, nope, it's going to go into the chipper. Sorry, buddy. Yeah. Sometimes you have to make those decisions. Like a tree that has a crotch, you know, where it branches right. off it into splits, two. Yeah. That's really hard to split. So is that worth it to spend the extra time to split it? Or it can go in the grinder. So really it does take all three pathways to make the greenway stream disappear, right? Sure. Because we need to make it into something. Firewood. It's an awesome product, you know, it provides heat and warmth, but the writing on the wall on firewood is it's becoming more illegal, right? You can't, right. can't build a home with a fireplace now. A wood burning stove. They're taking the places out of the beaches or fire rings. No more right? fire rings. Pretty wild. Yeah. Mulch. Mulch is a great product. Mulching your trees, you know, okay. prevents, prevents water uh, evaporation, mm-hmm. more moisture for the, for the trees. But over time, you know, the mulch will release all the greenhouse gases again. And, but <laughs> it's lumber, constant. so we kind of, we have to sort the material. Okay. And as soon as the logs come in, the faster we sort it, the better we have a product. So if someone, you know, we sort it 25, 30 different ways, wood that's going to go for firewood, wood that's going to be mulched, and then all the different species. Okay. If you chip stuff, is that good for like trails, like wood chips? Oh yeah. And I mean, do you guys have like a, oh, we're doing the Fullerton Trail. We're just going to drive a truck and dump wood chips? Yes. Interesting. If, you, if anyone's looking for wood chips, be careful about what you're asking for. Oh. Because someone can bury you in wood chips in, in <laughs> no time. If you need a little bit of wood chips, you know, don't don't ask for a whole truckload. You know, because, because that's, you know. And every tree trimmer is looking for a place to... To dump wood chips. To get rid of wood chips. And it's an awesome product. And maybe it's even, so say our sawmill is in, um, you know, Ontario. Uh The the carbon footprint of driving a whole truckloads of logs from certain areas is not really that much. The wood is more than is used, right? For example, we did five trips to San Luis Obispo of logs to another company called Deadwood Revival. Mm -hmm. And they did the math on it. And it, you know, I think we recovered... I'm going to quote this wrong, but right. 80 metric tons of carbon in the logs, and we used 2% of that to do the trucking. So it did make sense, even though we were trucking it pretty far. Right. But if you can put the mulch right at the same spot that the tree was taken down, yeah, that's that, like the ultimate, right, and that's, that's the, the right thing game. to do. Yeah. So Ventura, they mulch like crazy. Those farmers in Ventura, they're hip. They know that mulch is the answer. You that's know, for the way farming. to go. They don't have a problem. You know, they people will take as much mulch as they can get in the Ventura area. Now, Fresno farming, they don't want mulch. Really? Yeah. So there's kind of like a is second. Is that a philosophy thing or is that just a. I think that's like, you know, new fandangled hippies, man. Right. Ain't doing it. We don't need your mulch. And then the second, you know, like right next to our yard in uh, French camp, we have a recycling yard there. There's a cherry farm right next door. They grow cherries. The father passed away. And the son came over, you know, a month later saying, can I get mulch? My dad never was into it, but I know the benefits of it. So there's like a, you know, right. a changing of the times. Sure. And right. people are coming Philosophies in. Philosophy and, changing. Right. And it's a great time for trees. Wow. I think. Do you guys have here anything? Like, do you guys have some wood that you're just like, we're giving it away? We got a free wood pile. We don't have a free wood pile. I, you know, 
and it always is changing. Right. But, you know, for certain, if someone needs to, you know, we do donate wood to different causes okay. and, uh, you know, um, different wood shops. So we're always open to, to making it happen. I didn't know if there was just some ugly wood and you're like, damn it, this thing's just going to the landfill or we're there cutting is on up. occasion. Right. There is on occasion. And there's enough people around here that it gets eaten up pretty quickly. Sure. Right. And, but that's good. At least, you know, you'd rather like give it to Jim down the road than just decide we're just going to have to cut her up and dump her. She's no good to us. Yeah. Typically that does not happen. Right. Cause Once you, you're pretty, cut. you're pretty specific on when you're taking her down where she's going beforehand. Right. Exactly. And we yeah. try to take care of it. So we really, you know, once it gets inventoried in our system. See, that's crazy too that you're so computer heavy now. Where I, when your dad started, oh right, that was all pen and paper. That's it. Yeah, now, even the recycling portion of it is in is tech heavy. Right. Which I mean, is, you're you're Google Earth and looking at stuff and looking at trees before you get on site. It's wild. Wow. Yeah. See, the 16 year old. Never would have thought of that. Never would have thought He was thought like, I'm just going to buy a truck in two yeah. years, and I got a company. Yeah, we and I think, I don't remember what year it was, 2000, 2009 or 2011, uh, we switched to tablets, and we adopted tablets early, so all the crew members, all the foremen out in the field got tablets. And it was, you know, that's how our, our billing is done, too. So it's all, you know, super integral to our system, and it's all built in. So it's real time, you know, you're at the GPS location. He said, this tree got trimmed. You can input any of the information. The city can open up their app and look at where all the crews are in real time and see what jobs they're working on. But yeah, technology, I mean, it's wow. incredible. Yeah, see, it's, it's such a weird thing. I bet someone never would have told your dad when he took over and bought that truck where the company would be today. Yeah. Like you'd giggle and be like, eh, not a chance. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Justin Tustin. I'm not going anywhere else. Yeah, they say, I mean, the first, you know, we do in a day now what we did in the first combined years, 15 years, you know. Or, I mean, even more, it's like. Whoa, really? Yes. Holy is, crap. I mean, so we're, we're constantly celebrating new growth days. You know, the, when I was a kid. You know, we're c coming here on on a Friday, or if they broke a record, I remember when they made one hundred and fifty thousand dollars in a day. And now, you know, the yesterday was seven hundred and seventy nine thousand dollars worth of tree work done in Whoa. one day. How many trees do you guys take on an average in a week? That's a I don't know the the that data, you know. But so we have 11 million trees in I'm, inventory. I'm sure storms help you don't help you either, though, right? That changes the numbers. Right. Like Last crazy. week probably threw you off the loop like, oh, God, we're busy. Yeah. Off to Mendocino. Yeah. And stuff, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's been. How many trees do you guys try to plant? So last year we planted 25,000 trees. Wow. Good for you. Yeah. Holy crap. That's great. And that, gr that number is growing. Sure. Yeah. And we're growing from seed to a lot of our stock. So, you know, we're, we're planning for the future right, to long term, to long term. We want to grow more stuff from seed, but really a lot of our yard is, you know, a transfer yard where lots of different nurseries uh, feed it. And a cool thing about having all this technology, like Cal Poly San Luis Obispo and Cal Fire have partnered and they use our data. So we've shared our data. We know that ever since the beginning, we've been, uh, it's all about sharing. Right. You know, other tree companies, we shared our, our training videos with the safety videos. You know, it's like a, we're one, you know, all, what is the saying? Rising tides, raise all ships. Raise all ships, yeah. And sharing is a, a big part of it. And that's how we, we uh, a lot of our success 
is based on sharing. So we shared this information, and now Cal Poly can do all this, you know, studies and data on all the tree information, which is, you know, without good data, you don't really have a great, you don't have anything to look at, right? Like, especially with AI now, right? And they're studying the photos. If you have a couple bad photos in there, you screw the whole thing up. Having good data really makes a, a big difference. Right. I can't thank you enough. This has been awesome. I, I, I wish I hadn't shaved for, I shaved yesterday. I wish I hadn't shaved for a couple of weeks so I at least come in here a little more manly, but I felt like the beard's grown a little bit. It in the has. Last I've hour. been watching it. <laughs> I, where's the business going to be in 10 years? Where do you see it? I hope that, you know, we have a wood dashboard from an urban tree in San, San Bernardino County urban tree wood dashboard on one of the SpaceX uh, shuttles. That would be cool. I don't know if there's any urban wood in space, <laughs> but how cool would that be? Yeah, I hadn't even thought of that. But the potential, I mean, a real, a real goal, you know, there's over 50 million tons of carbon, you know, the, the opportunity to recycle this wood is, is out there. And I just see uh, more retail stores and American manufacturers like Taylor Guitars, Room and Board. Room and Board is one of the only retailers, furniture retailers, where you can go anywhere in the United States and buy an urban wood product. So I just see that growing. And uh, the line between urban wood and regular lumber is going to be blurred, and it's just going to be a regular thing that we're using local street trees in our wood products. That's very cool. This has been a great podcast, but but I'm going to tell you this. I really want to hit the button stop. I want to go back out to that damn showroom and just sit there for a little while and take in the smell. You, you can work. come in anytime and just, you know, that's what it's about. These are community trees. The community should be able to experience them still, you know. So anybody, please come to our showroom in Anaheim. It's called Street Tree Revival. Are you guys on any social? Absolutely. What are you on? Instagram, Street okay. Tree Revival. Every Saturday, we're posting a new educational video oh. about a certain species. So there's a couple good ones out there. Cool. And uh, yeah, we're on Facebook too. No YouTube channel yet, yeah, but in the it's future. All right. yeah. It'll come. That's awesome. All right. So check, out, check them out. Definitely come by the showroom. Get your hands on some wood. Start building some stuff. Get your kids, make a project, whether it's a birdhouse or a bench or a bed or something. That's And participate in your local tree planting efforts. Yeah. Now, okay, so when you say that, what's a good thing for them to get involved in? What's, what do they do? Yeah, like the Arbor Day Foundation okay. is, uh, an, um, you know, a big, you know, uh, foundation for trees. And they help different communities and cities get access to trees and help them do tree plantings. So uh, Arbor Day, I should know the date, like <laughs> the back of my head, but every city celebrates it differently. Okay. And uh, for example, last year we did a big, where we planted uh, 2,000 trees in one day with 30 different communities. And it was called Amplify the Urban Forest. So there's lots of cool tree planting events, and I just encourage to get the young ones in on it and put a shovel in the ground and grow some trees while growing people. It's right. beautiful. Yeah. Well, okay, if you're coming out to California and you're coming out to Disneyland, you're in Anaheim, stop off. You're right here at the 91 and 57. Swing by the showroom. Take it all in. It smells great. What's the cheapest piece of wood they can walk out of here with? 
40 bucks. Oh, less than that. 20 bucks. Come $1. on. $1. One duck. Walk out. We have a, we have a bin and it's called the scrap bin and we salt it with all kinds of good stuff. Generally the salt, the bins five to $10 a piece. The most expensive piece of wood, a slab that's uh, 14 feet long by 50 inches wide is $2,000. So it is expensive. But you can get wood in any budget. But that's a forever project. That's yeah. a great. That's piece. a huge piece of wood. Right. It's insane, and it's better pricing than than anybody because it's you know. Direct. Yeah, there's some surfboards out there. Duke would we be riding on? I saw yeah. out there. <laughs> <laughs> Come on by, check out this place. It is the best kept secret, and I don't want it to be one anymore. Appreciate that. All right, John, you're the best. Hey, you're the best too. Keep Stay that dusty. thing growing, man. That thing's awesome. <laughs> Thank you for listening to my conversation with John Mahoney. If you enjoyed this episode, please click the like button and become a subscriber to the podcast. Remember, you can follow the Just a Good Conversation podcast on Instagram, and you can find all of our past shows on the website, justagoodconversation.com. Thank you for listening.